Um, let's just pray. Thank you, Father, for, uh, for revealing that, that you are our habitation. Thank you, Lord, for uh, introducing us to ourselves, for helping us to understand ourselves, for helping us to understand the desires in our heart, for showing us the, that our desire is you and your life. Thank you, Father, that in the same time you revealed that your desire is us and to preserve our lives in yourself. Thank you, Lord, that our senses are being exercised, that we're growing in uh, wisdom and stature, that we're growing in favor with you and in favor with man. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I've been talking about uh, that, that a lot, and ultimately at, at, at the root of it all is the growing in wisdom and stature and in, in the favor with God and with man by our senses being exercised. And so we've been learning about ourselves, right? It's like, and I sang the song in there. I sang the song in there, Billy. I have to sing the song now because you're sitting there. And also to upset my friend who was, who was picking on me, my friend that I've been talking about from up here, he messaged me, he said, listen, so, you know, the message is good, but you got to stop singing. He said, oh, the singing's out. So we've been learning about ourselves and, and, and really being introduced to ourselves. And I've been saying this a lot, but people struggle to understand themselves. They don't really understand themselves. And what I mean by understand themselves is they don't understand why they feel what they feel. They don't understand why they have the thoughts that they have. They know they have them. Like we know when we feel angry. So we understand we're angry, but we don't really understand why we're angry. We understand that we're hurt, but we struggle to understand what is at the root of the hurt that we feel. We struggle to discern or accurately discern our senses. We, we struggle to understand even ourselves. So we've been trying to introduce uh, yourself to you. We're trying to help you get to know yourself, right? And you'd think after all these years of being human, we'd be, we'd be experts at understanding human, but we're not, right? And, and so we're like a fish out of water flapping around, but we've been getting to know ourselves, and I don't know what musical it is, but the song, getting to know you, getting to know all about you. <laughs> <laughs> Is it West Side Story? So we've been we, we've been learning. Do you want to look for look it up and see if we can find it? The King and I. I captivated you guys with the song, huh? Everybody's like, we all, we all know the song. <laughs> So we've been, we've been learning about ourselves and, and what it means to be human. Because you'll struggle to grow in the stature of sonship. You'll struggle to grow in your intimacy with the eternal life that you already have, that God's already done everything to give you, if you don't understand yourself, if you don't understand what it means to be human. And so part of growing in the stature of sonship is growing in your understanding of what it means to be human. Growing in your understanding of yourself. You start to understand the things you feel, right? And so then what happens is, is when you understand why you feel you, what you feel, you understand your emotions. And I'm not talking about the world's kind of idea where you got to get in touch with your emotions. 
I'm not talking about that kind of a thing. I'm talking about where you begin to understand your emotions. You begin to understand why you can have negative emotions, why things could aggravate you. You begin to understand uh, what it is that is, is the motive behind your life, that you begin to understand the motive of your heart and why you feel the things we feel. See, the world's good at making an observation, right? But the world is no good at understanding why the thing is happening. You have stuff like OCD. You guys ever heard of obsessive compulsive disorder? Okay, so we're real good at recognizing that there can be that kind of a thing, but we struggle to understand why it's there. We struggle to understand what it is that causes a person to be obsessive about something to begin with. And because we don't understand what it is that causes a person to be obsessive to begin with, we struggle to understand how to help those people. We struggle to understand what it is that's hurting them. So how can we come with something that can be of help to them? Right? And if you begin to understand human and what's in human and the desire that's inside of human to begin with, that because we were created from God, we have this longing in us already, you begin to understand that an obsessive compulsive person is actually longing and yearning and desiring for perfection. Well, guess what? We were created to long for perfection. But if we don't understand what the perfection is that we're longing for, and we don't understand why we're longing for it. We'll begin to try to satisfy our desire for perfection in all these different things, right? And so you can become obsessive about the things you're doing because you're yearning for perfection and you don't understand the perfection that you're yearning for. You don't even understand that's what you're doing. And so we're trying to, to get in the place where we understand the motives in our hearts, where we, we start to understand the driving force behind everything we do, and, and, and bringing out the fact that our senses, our senses, our senses long to touch and to handle and to taste a sinless life. That's what our senses are longing for. You want to know why a person's obsessive? You want to know why they have OCD? They're longing for a sinless life. They're longing for a life without spots and blemishes. And because they don't know what they're longing for, they're trying to satisfy that desire through doing all these different things. But through the course of doing all those different things, you know what they've decided inside themselves? A sinless life is found in doing all these different things. If I can do all these different things, that will perfect my life. That will attain to the likeness of life that I'm longing for. That will man make life manifest in me and all around me. Right? And so our, our senses long to touch and to, to handle and to see a sinless life. We're longing for mortality to be swallowed in immortality. That's what our senses are longing for. You know, our senses actually despise mortality. They actually despise it. And they're actually trying to deal with the fact that they are in mortality right now. Or that they're partaking of mortality in their body. And so we don't even understand that about ourselves and what it means to be the offspring of God, right? Listen, guys, all humans were created by God. If you haven't believed on God yet, you don't have eternal life, but you were still created by God. And so the fact that we're all the offspring of God, it gives shape to, to what it is that drives our lives. And so I don't know if you guys know this about God. I think you do, if you've been here for any amount of time. But God is set apart unto life. Do you know that? There's, the scripture says there's no darkness in God. There's no death in God. There's only light and life in God. There's no fear in God. 
There's no torment in God. There's only life in God. And so God is set apart unto life. He's set apart unto seeing life manifest and to seeing life come forth. In fact, the whole thing God set in motion when he said, let there be light, was he set to bring about his life in creation and in mankind. He set about to bring forth his likeness in you, in me, and in this creation. He set apart to seeing that. That's what he's after. Well, guess what? We were made from him. We're his offspring. So do you know what that means about us? It means that because we're God's offspring, we are by nature. I love what Matt said. He put it in, in a, a great little couple of sentences, and I'm probably going to butcher it, and you might remember exactly what you said. But he said that we don't have a sin nature. Or Do you remember how you said it? It's not in our nature to sin. It's not in our nature to sin. It's in our nature to desire life. It's not in our nature to sin. It's in our nature to desire life. Now the question is, how do we satisfy our, our desire for life? Because you could have a desire for life, but you, if you seek to have life through something that can't give you life, you could find death manifesting. Right? And so because we're, we're God's offspring, we're by nature set apart unto a desire for life. All of us. That's what we're all wanting. We're desiring to see life manifest in us and life manifest in the earth. Because we live and move and have our being in God and there's no darkness and no death in God, there's only light in life. Because we live and move and have our being in God, we have a yearning in the depth of our being for only light in life. We have something in us that is hungering for life, thirsting after life. That's why we despise anything that we think is a contradiction to life. That's why we can get upset when we think somebody does something that's hurtful to us. Because we're upset that whatever it is they did, we think is a stumbling block to us having the life we're desiring. Whatever it is they've said or they've done, we think it's in the way of us seeing the life that we're longing for manifested. And that's why we become upset. And people don't stop to think about these things, right? I mean, like, I'm a strange kind of person. I don't just get upset. I stop and think, well, why did that even upset me? Well, because they did something that's not right. But yeah, but why does it upset me that they did something that's not right? Why am I not just indifferent? You see, we come up with all these horrible sin nature things, right? We see two kids in a sandbox, and we see one kid get very upset when the other kid steals the fire truck. They take the fire truck. And then the kid gets very upset. And we call that a sin nature. But to, Matt's, uh, to the point of Matt's post, no. It's actually in their nature to desire life. The problem is they think the life they're desiring is found in the fire truck. And so that makes them grab the fire truck. It's not a sin nature. It's that it's in their nature to desire life. Right? And that's why the other kid wanted to take it to begin with. Because that child is desiring life. By nature, they're desiring life. And because they think the, the fire truck is the life they're desiring or contains it, they grab it. Right? And so we got a yearning in the depth of our being for only light and life. There's a groaning within every person, within each of us. There's a longing in all of our senses for the glory of God. A longing. 
I remember the first time way back when we started the church, I started talking about that we're seated at the right hand of God, that we have the equivalent with God, that God sees glory in us. That was like, what? People just felt liberty from that. Just because you're longing for the glory of God. You're longing to see the glory of God manifest in your body. Have any of you ever felt critical about your body? Why? What is it that you're longing for? And when we find, when we, listen, I remember when I was first losing my hair. Now I don't care because I never liked my hair to begin with. But at, at first you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? You become thinking, critical thinking about the hair, but what is it you're even longing for? What is it that, why do you even find fault with your body? You're longing to see perfection in your body, but I'm here to tell you the perfection you're longing to see isn't found in what the world says about your body. Your perfect, the perfection you're longing to see is you're longing to see your body animated with the glory of God. Just like Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration where his body shone with the life of God. That's what you're longing for. So the next time you're finding dissatisfaction with yourself about your body, you're no longer ignorant. Understand what it is you're longing for. You're actually longing to see the likeness of the Father manifested in your body. That's why you have a problem. So now understand your emotion properly. And now connect with the fact that God has given you His likeness as a gift in the person of Jesus. And you can start connecting with how I have the treasure I'm longing for right now in this earthen vessel. And that treasure that I have now in this earthen vessel, it will perfect this flesh. It will glorify this flesh with immortality. You know what you'll find find yourself? You'll start loving yourself. You start loving your body. And I don't mean loving yourself like the world says to love yourself. But you'll stop despising yourself for your body. Because you'll understand what it is you really want. And whether I have hair or don't have hair, that can't glorify my body with immortality. And so now that I don't have hair, if it bothers me, I can see what I'm longing for is to see perfection manifested in my flesh. But perfection isn't found in having hair or not having hair. Perfection is found in the likeness of the Father being made manifest in me. You ladies, the world has tried to judge you guys. By body type, hair type, I mean, the number of things is astronomical. It's outrageous. So the next time you find yourself with a negative emotion, the next time you find yourself feeling lack because of something you perceive in yourself, man, let your senses be exercised and understand the reason you can even feel that emotion is because you were created longing to see the likeness of the Father's life manifested in your body. So understand that's what you're actually longing for. That's why you can even feel upset about it. And so now you can start connecting with God and how God's in you and you're in God. And you can start to see nothing can keep the Father's life from being made manifest in my flesh, that I have been perfected. I have been sanctified once for all time. You see how that works? Otherwise, you could be spent off trying to find perfection according to what you can produce in your own body. And then you can all the time be tossed to and fro. And all the time be upset. Can you imagine all the things I could have done to try to have hair? If I wouldn't have realized what I did? I mean, I could have gone and had a bunch of surgery. If you had surgery, I'm not telling you that you're evil. I'm just saying. Right? Understand what it is you want, really. And that's what we're trying to introduce ourselves to ourselves. We're trying to let God discern our hearts and the desires of our hearts. And that's what we're groaning for. All of creation is groaning in travail, Paul said. And he said, we're groaning with them. 
And do you know what we're groaning for? We're groaning to see God manifested in our flesh and in the earth. Right? So you want to understand that about yourself. And along those lines, I'm thinking of Luke 2, when Jesus is a child, right? And, and Joseph and Mary and Jesus and a whole bunch of their family members, because you traveled in a caravan, they went back to Jerusalem for the, the feast of the Passover. And when the feast of the Passover, when the days of the feast of the Passover were fulfilled, we're in Luke 2, for those of you that are wondering, the end of Luke 2, I think like verse 42 through the end, 52. But when the days of the feast were fulfilled and they pack up their caravan and they're all leaving, it says they get like a day's journey away and they realize Jesus ain't there. <laughs> what? He's like 10 years old. Something like that. But he's not there. So they, well, then they go, because, you know, if you're traveling in a caravan, you might not see him there with you, but he could be with, you know, your family. And so you ain't too worried about it. But then you start looking for him and you can't find Jesus anywhere. And so then they got to go all the way back to Jerusalem looking for him. And you know where they found Jesus? They found Jesus in the temple, in the synagogue. It says, listening to the rabbis and the scribes and asking questions. Ten years old. And it says that they marveled at his understanding. They marveled at his understanding for being a young child who hadn't been taught, right? He wasn't growing up in what they called the pharisaical system or a Sadducee. He was just a normal Jewish kid. And so they marveled at his understanding. And then Joseph and Mary, you know, like, what are you doing, dude? Don't you know we were troubled and distraught with sorrow looking for you? And Jesus, <laughs> I've had to tell your parents this. <laughs> I remember I used to say some things to my parents when I was a little kid, like I knew what I was talking about. But Jesus actually did know what he was talking about. That's the difference there. So Jesus says to, to Mary and Joseph, he says, why were you distraught and sorrowful looking for me? Didn't you know I would be about my father's business? It says they didn't really know what to make of those words yet. They didn't really know how to, how to discern that. But it, the, the, the whole account ends with Luke saying this in verse 52, and this is the part we're going to focus on. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. I'm going to read that again. That's Luke chapter 2, verse 52. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And we talked about this a little bit in the Bible study towards the end, but I, I was kind of like Thomas, right? Those, those verses always perplexed me. Because Jesus is the express image and brightness of God's person. I mean, he's from above. He didn't have an earthly father. He was conceived by God himself through the Holy Spirit. He's the eternal son. Jesus is the word that's been from the beginning. He's the light that appeared in Genesis, who created all things, who gave life and breath to everything that exists. And so I read those verses and I thought like Thomas, I always thought, how can the eternal word, how can the eternal son grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man? I mean, he is God. Do you guys realize that? The birth of Jesus, the angel said, this is Emmanuel, God with us. How does God grow in wisdom and stature? How does God grow in favor with himself and with man? 
And so that's just one of those things where it feels like it doesn't fit. Whenever you find something in the scriptures that feels like it doesn't fit, the scriptures are not supposed to be read like a novel, where you're just supposed to read it topically and just understand. There's no intimacy in that. The scriptures, many times, the Spirit writes things that seem like a contradiction. And the reason the Spirit has it written that way, because it lures you in to a deeper inquiry with God, where you get caught up in this, what does this mean? And it's like the breeding ground for revelation, right? I used to get frustrated when I thought there was a contradiction because I wanted it all to line up. And I used to get so angry with God and I'd smash my Bible on the ground. I just want to understand what it says. (laughs) And then God's like, Greg, really what you're saying is that you want to avoid having to interact with me. (laughs) He says, I don't think you understand the studying of the scriptures. Well, Greg, it's more like a dance where I'm trying to catch you up in a dance with me where you can't just read the scriptures and know what's written there. You have to engage with me to know what's written there. And you're trying to end all that. And so be encouraged if you think you read something that you don't understand or you think it's a contradiction. That is the the beginning of you leaning into God and finding a deeper revelation. Right? So I always read those verses and I thought, how can that, how can that be? And so when you look at growing in in stature it means to grow in maturity. And it doesn't just mean to like get older, like we think of growing in maturity. And specifically what it would speak about is it would talk about growing in sonship. And it doesn't mean growing in sonship like I'm Larry's son and now I grow in sonship as Larry. It's talking about being a son of God and growing in that kind of a sonship. When it says Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature, what it's saying is that Jesus grew in intimacy with eternal life. And again, you might say, well, how does he grow in intimacy with eternal life? I mean, he is eternal life. He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. So how is this guy needing to grow in intimacy with eternal life? How is he needing to grow in in sonship to begin with? And so what I want to say is Jesus had to grow in his intimacy with eternal life as a man clothed in corruptible flesh. And so, yes, he's the son of God. Yes, he's the begotten son from all eternity, but he had never been clothed in human flesh before. He had never been clothed in corruptible flesh before. He had to grow in the stature of sonship while dwelling in a body that was corrupted by death. He wasn't a human before. He wasn't clothed in a body that could feel weakness. He wasn't clothed in a body that could feel the weight of fear. You know, God can't feel fear. And so now all of a sudden, him who had no intimacy with death or with darkness or with fear or with weakness, you're talking about someone that never felt weakness. There's a difference between knowing weakness existed and feeling weakness. There's a difference between knowing someone can be afraid and feeling the fear press upon you yourself. And so, yes, Jesus was always the the begotten son. He was always the eternal son. But now, all of a sudden, he was born of a woman. He was born in blood. He was born in the likeness of sinful flesh. He wasn't a created being, but now, all of a sudden, he was dwelling in a body that was created. And the body he was dwelling in that was created was now filled with death. And you have to begin to understand the contradiction of what that was. There's no death or darkness in God. 
And so Jesus has no intimacy with death or darkness. He has no intimacy with fear or with the feeling of weakness. He only knows light and life. He can see death and darkness exist, but he has no intimacy with it. So now you have him who is only light and life, who's never known anything but the fullness of life. You have that being who is before all things that created all things by the power of his life. You have that being now putting on a body that has death in it. I mean, we, the scripture says God can't be tempted. So how can Jesus be tempted? The only way he could be tempted is if you put on a body that could feel the weight of fear, lack. If he could feel the same negative emotions, the same confusion that we all feel. And so you have Jesus putting on a body that was intimate with death. He who knew no death, who has no intimacy with death, he now put on a body that was one with death. And in doing that, all of a sudden, he can now experience the same desires and emotions that go along with dwelling in corruptible flesh. He can experience the same thing now. So when it talks about him growing in wisdom and stature, it's talking about his senses being exercised to be able to discern what it is he's feeling, the negative emotions, what it is what's going on when he feels pressed in on by fear, when he feels pressed in on by lack. He had to grow in his understanding of exactly what that was, and he had to grow in his understanding of what it is that could satisfy what he was yearning for. He had to grow in that. Simply put, you could say Jesus grew in his understanding of what it meant to be human. And that, that helped him, not just individually, but it helped him in his ministry. He had to learn how to discern the feeling of weakness. He didn't just say, I feel weak. He discerned, he had his senses exercised to understand why he would feel weak, to understand what causes the feeling of weakness, what causes confusion, what causes the feeling of fear, right? Because all those things are very human emotions. And there's a very real reason why we can even feel those things. And we've never stopped to even try to figure out why do we feel these things, right? What's the cause of this? But Jesus, he grew in his understanding of why does a human even feel weakness? Where does the weakness come from? What does it mean that they feel weakness? What does it mean that I feel weakness? Can you imagine Jesus for the first time feeling weak? I mean, do you guys think God can feel weak? Just God, before anything's made. Can he feel weak? Okay, so... I mean, we talk about this with Adam and Eve. Imagine Adam and Eve only knowing light and life in the garden. And there's actually two books written, the first book of Adam and the second book of Adam. It's not in the canon. I don't think it's completely inspired by the Holy Spirit, but it's an interesting thought process. It talks about what happened to Adam and Eve, who only knew light and life, when all of a sudden death entered in. And all they saw was darkness now. And the shock it was. And the confusion that came. And the fear that came upon them. And the lack that came upon them. In everything they felt. So now you take God. Jesus is the eternal word. He's never felt weakness before. 
He knows there is such a thing. He sees what can cause people weakness. He has an intellectual knowing about weakness, but not necessarily an experiential knowledge of weakness because he can't feel weak. He put on a body that could feel weak. And for the very first time, my man is feeling weakness. He's feeling the pressing in of fear. He's feeling the pressing in of lack. He's feeling the confusion that can come upon a person. He's feeling all those things. He sees there's a contradiction, right? He is life, but he's clothed in a body that's dying. Can you imagine the contradiction? And so now he's, he's learning to discern the feelings of weakness and confusion and fear. Because those things were foreign to him. He had to have his senses exercised to understand and to grow in the understanding of what it was. He had a base knowledge of what it is, but now he had to understand or grow in his interpretation of it. Right? He'd never been clothed in the likeness of sinful flesh. Yeah, he's the eternal word. Sure, he's the word that holds all things together. But he'd never been clothed in perishable flesh. He'd never partaken of flesh and blood. The pre-incarnate Jesus, before he was born of a woman, was not clothed in perishable flesh. And now all of a sudden, he's partaking of flesh and blood. Right? And so his senses needed to be exercised to discern both good and evil. He grew in his understanding of the appetites of the flesh. He grew in his understanding of what it is for the flesh to even hunger. You think God's got to drink water? You think God's got to eat food for strength? Now all of a sudden this God that needs nothing for life, that doesn't need to eat, that doesn't need to drink, doesn't need any of those things, this God puts on a body that needs water and that needs food and can all of a sudden experience the emotion of being hungry, that can all of a sudden be thirsty. And so his senses are exercised to, to, to see what it is that the flesh is hungering for. And not just what is it hungering for, but what it is that can satisfy the hunger of the flesh. If you notice, Jesus said on the cross, I thirst. And then what did they want to give him? Did he want that? Why not? Right. But he wanted something, didn't he? Didn't he recognize the negative emotion that he needed something? And really what he was thirsting for was comfort because I promise you if you're nailed to a cross, your body does not feel comfortable. And I promise you, you're feeling the heavy weight of fear press on you, you're feeling lack, you're feeling confusion, and you're, you're, you're feeling the weight of the negative emotion. And you're hungering or thirsting after something that can comfort you from that. And so Jesus had his senses exercised to understand I'm hungering and thirsting after the comfort that's in the Father's life. So he began to understand what has the power to satisfy the hunger. That's why you see Jesus in the wilderness. What does he say to the serpent when he was hungered? It says, and the serpent saw his body was yearning. It was hungry. What does the serpent come and say to him? Hey, bro. You can turn stones into bread. Use your ability. Turn those stones into bread. That will satisfy your hunger. Jesus immediately understood that although his body was hungry, what it was actually hungering for was the likeness of the Father's immortality. 
And he discerned, even should I turn these stones into bread, that can't actually satisfy what I'm yearning for. The negative emotion I feel isn't actually on account of not eating bread. It's on account of desiring to see the likeness of the Father's immortality manifested in my body. He discerned it. So, whoop-de-doo, I turned these stones into bread. That's not going to give my body the likeness of immortality. He discerned exactly where he could find his hunger satisfied. Right? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God, he says. You think he just said that because he's like some smart dude? His senses were exercised. He didn't just feel the negative emotion. He didn't just feel the weakness in his body and now try to satisfy those things by whatever he could find. He understood what the weakness was. He understood what his body really wanted, and he understood where it could be found. And so that caused him to now connect with God, who God poured out on him the spirit of his life before he went into the wilderness and said, You are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus saw my body's hungering for the Father. And guess what? Before I came out here, the Father poured out on me his life. <laughs> he called me his beloved son. So listen, bro, my, my mortal body possesses the ability to feel weakness, but I'm being awakened right now. My senses are being awakened right now to the Father's likeness that's dwelling inside of me. Right? That's what my body's actually needing. You see how he, he did that? You see how he discerned that? And so listen, the next time you feel a negative emotion, the world is going to try to convince you the negative emotion you feel is because of what happened. That's not true. The negative emotion you feel is because you're longing to see the manifestation of life in yourself and all around you. And you're perceiving whatever it is that happened as being a stumbling block to you having the life you're longing for. Right? I posed this question a couple weeks ago on the Bible study. Do you think if you were in a glorified immortal body that couldn't be harmed and you had a life that couldn't be stolen, do you think you'd be upset by anything anybody did to you? Do you even think you could feel weakness? Nope. You can't feel weakness. You can't feel fear. <laughs> and so you begin to understand what it is you're after. And instead of lashing out at people or instead of trying to perfect your life externally, you start to realize what it is you're after. And instead of enlisting your own ability to try to bring forth life, you start connecting with God because you're starting to see, that's what I'm really longing for. That's why I feel upset, right? And you start connecting with God. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 20, beginning in verse 20 and verse 25. For those of you that like to know this, it, Luke just says that one passage, Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man, the entire book of Proverbs outlines the whole thing. You can go and read in the book of Proverbs and it talks about growing in favor with God and with man. And it actually gives a snapshot into how Jesus' senses were actually exercised and what it is that happened inside of him, right, as he grew in wisdom and stature. But I just picked out a couple of uh, verses in chapter 6. We'll begin with verse 20. My son, my son, <laughs> my son, Keep your father's commandment and forsake not the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart and tie them about your neck. 
When you go in the way, it will lead you. When you sleep, it will keep you. And when you are awake, it will talk with you. Do you notice how those things will do something for you? It's not you performing those things. Do you notice how he says that? Bind them continually upon your heart and tie them about your neck. When you go in the way, it will lead you. You don't lead yourself. It will lead you. When you sleep, it will keep you. You don't keep yourself. And when you are awake, it will talk with you. It intercedes on your behalf in the midst of the weakness, the fear, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the emotional instability or the negative emotions you can feel. These things the book of Proverbs are talking about will keep you, he says. For the commandment is a lamp and the law is light and reproofs of instruction are the way of life to keep thee from the evil woman, from the flattery of the tongue of a strange woman. Lust not after her beauty in your heart, neither let her take you with her eyelids. Don't confuse. Well, I added this. Um, it says, lust not after her beauty in your heart, neither let her take you with her eyelids. The way that would actually be communicated would, would sound something more like, don't confuse the beauty you see in her for the beauty you are seeking. Don't confuse the beauty you see in her with the beauty you are seeking. And so many times what happens is, is we can see there's something beautiful in the world and we can confuse the beauty we see in the world with the beauty we're seeking. And just to give you guys a, a disclaimer, it's not talking about a real woman. It's a metaphor. The, the evil woman, the strange woman, it's a metaphor. It's not talking about a physical woman, okay? So you'll miss the whole point if you understand that. But he says, my son, keep your father's commandment and forsake not the law of your mother. The commandment of the father that is talking about that right there, do you know what the commandment is? Because it says it's a lamp for you. And the reason why it's a lamp for you is because it shows you the beauty you're actually seeking. That's why it's a lamp. You're no longer wondering what the beauty is that you're actually seeking. You're no longer like a fool running to and fro, seeing everything that's beautiful and trying to grab a hold of everything that's beautiful because the Father's commandment comes and shows you the beauty you're looking for. And you might be thinking, what are you talking about? I know it sounds weird because of our definition of commandment, but Jesus described the Father's commandment in John's gospel. And do you know what he said? The Father has given me commandment. And you know what he says the commandment he gave him was? Life everlasting. Everlasting. Everlasting life. That's the Father's commandment. And the reason the Father gives you that commandment is because He wants it to be a light unto your feet. He wants to show you the beauty you're longing for. So you're not out there grasping for straws, wondering what it is you're seeking, wondering what it is you're yearning for. He comes and shows it to you, just like Jesus showed Paul on the road to Damascus when Paul saw the glorified man Jesus. The commandment of your Father, life everlasting. Life everlasting. And so the commandment of the Father reveals the beauty you're groaning for. Okay, so now I'm starting to understand why I can even feel a groaning. Any of you have ever felt lack? Any of you ever felt like you don't have what you need? That's a groaning. You're longing for something. You're thirsting. You're hungered. You ever felt that way? Where you just feel empty? You can feel depressed. 
That, that can be a groaning. And the Father's commandment, Jesus came into the earth to reveal to us the beauty we're groaning for is everlasting life, actually. That's the beauty we're groaning for. Okay, so now I know what I'm seeking. Right? Can you imagine being in a field and you don't even know what you're trying to find? I mean, it's like people driving on the side of the road on the interstate, right? They can get in a fight and one of them throws their ring out the window because they're so angry. I want a divorce. They throw the ring out the window. You ever tried to find something that small on the side of the road? Like I've pulled over and tried to help people. You, you even know what you're looking for. But I promise you, you know what you don't find? You don't find it, even though you know what you're looking for. Now imagine being a big field that's got all these different things that can appeal to your senses, that has all these different things that look beautiful. Because there's lots of different things that look good for food. There are lots of different things that look like they can satisfy your thirst or your hunger or your groaning. There are lots of different things that think that it will complete you or it will make you whole. If you can just gain it, if you can just grasp after it. There's lots of different things in this world. So now imagine walking in a field that has lots of beautiful things, but you don't really know the beauty you're looking for. You become like the fool in the book of Proverbs. You're just all over the place, grasping after everything you can find, lying in wait for anything that's beautiful that you can now seize upon. You become like Schmeagel from Lord of the Rings. Precious? Precious? I mean, Schmeagel was filled with lust, but at least he knew what he was lusting for. And so if you're busy desiring a certain kind of a beauty, but you don't know exactly the beauty you're desiring, you won't know how to attain to the beauty that you're desiring. And that's when your desire turns from desire into lust. And now you're lusting after bringing forth God in your own life and in the world around you through your own strength or through different things in the world that you're only meant to enjoy. You're living like the fool. The law of your mother. You notice how that one of the Ten Commandments is to obey your father and your mother? It's no accident that Proverbs talks about the father and the mother. And parents, I hate to mess you up. Kids, you should listen to your parents while you live in their house. Right? But just to, to, to test that for everybody, do we really think you should obey your father and your mother if they're telling you to be a devil worshiper? Okay. Do you see how that means there's more to me than meets the eye? to the commandment that says obey your father and your mother. Because I promise you, if your father and your mother was telling you to worship idols, that commandment is not telling you you should obey that. <laughs> right? That's not what it means. And so the law of your mother is the law of the spirit of life. And it can be, there's a lot of things that can be an allegory for, and some of you have heard me talk about it, but it can be an allegory for Sarah, which Paul talked about as the free woman. The law of your mother. Well, what would be the law that Sarah would come declaring? Sarah would come declaring the God that brought forth life out of the midst of the deadness of her flesh. She says, she, she talks about, will your, will your servant now find pleasure in her old age? Will she now attain to the beauty she was longing for all along when she's long since past the time? And so what would be the law of Sarah? The beauty you're looking for is for life to come forth out of the midst of the deadness of your flesh. And the, the power unto that coming forth in you is only by promise because Isaac was the promise seed. And so the law of your mother, it teaches that the only way to attain to the beauty, to the life everlasting is by promise. You can only receive it by promise. 
You can also say the law of your mother is the spirit of truth or the comforter, or the Holy Spirit. And what would be the law of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit came into the earth to do what? Do you know what the Holy Spirit came into the earth to do? To discern the Father for us. To teach us and instruct us to exercise our senses to be able to discern the likeness of the Father in the glorified man, Jesus. Teaching and instructing us all the time that the only way to attain to God in our flesh. The only way to lay hold of the beauty that we're all actually longing for is to look to the Father to bring forth His likeness in you. We all want our lives to be preserved from death. People get very upset about the government taxing them. You know why we don't like taxes? Because we think they're going to kill us. So we want our lives to be preserved from death. Well, the law of your mother is the teaching and instruction that within God, within the Father, is a life that will preserve you from death. Within the law of your mother, the Holy Spirit, is the revelation of the Father with you to give birth to His likeness in you. So now, when you can feel lack, And the world tries to point at something beautiful and say, if you could just get that, that will satisfy your lack. Now you begin to see that you're actually longing for the likeness of the Father. And you become awakened to the fact that the Father is with you, having given you His likeness as a gift. And now you're walking around like that in the earth, right? You're not being tossed to and fro by hurtful lusts. And so the the strange woman is a metaphor not talking about a real woman, right? And lots of real women have been abused by super religious men wanting to call them the strange woman or the evil woman. It's not talking about a prostitute there. That's not what it's talking about. It's using a metaphor. And so the strange woman would be as opposed to the law of your mother. So the strange woman also wants to teach you something. And the strange woman sees that your senses are groaning for the likeness of the father's life. The strange woman knows that your senses are longing and yearning for the beauty that is the Father himself. And so what the strange woman comes and does is it works with or tries to mix with your desire for life and it points you to all these different things in the world that look beautiful that you might be able to enjoy, but it comes and points at all those things and tells you the power to satisfy your hunger is found in that. Look at all the beauty you see in the world. That can satisfy your hunger. That's like the fig tree that promised Jesus fruit because it had leaves, meaning it was the time where it should be bearing fruit. And then Jesus gets to the fig tree and you know what wasn't there? Fruit. Same thing with the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What What did Eve say? It looked good for food. It looked like it was the wisdom that could lead me unto life. It was clothed in beauty. And if it's clothed in beauty, if it was decorated in beauty, it looked like it could give me the wisdom I needed to also be clothed in beauty. And I'm longing to be clothed upon. I'm longing not to have my nakedness uncovered. I'm longing to be clothed upon. And so Jesus had the law, the commandment of his father, life everlasting as a human. And he had the law of his mother that was teaching and instructing him about how he's in the Father and the Father's in him. 
and how the groaning he feels in his senses, the yearning he feels, the longing he feels, the negative emotions he feels, is because his body is yearning for the likeness of the Father's immortality. And now that's dwelling in Jesus as he's walking around in the earth. So Jesus grew in his discernment of the Father. And I don't mean knowledge. I'm talking about experiential knowing of the Father. I'm talking about intimacy with the eternal life that he shared with the Father from the beginning. He grew in his intimacy with that. He understood what it was when he felt weakness. He understood what it was when he felt grief, when he felt a groaning inside of himself, when he felt pressed in on by lack. He understood what was going on when he felt fear pressing in on him. He wasn't like, how did this happen? What's going on? He grew in wisdom and stature. You see that? You see how he, he grew in understanding what he's longing for? That helped him understand why he felt what he felt. It also helped him understand what would comfort him in the midst of feeling those things. Right? Because if you're actually longing for the likeness of the Father, and when I say likeness, I mean the Father's life. When you see that's what you're actually longing for, that that's why you feel what you feel, that's where you go looking to find satisfaction. That's where you find yourself going. So when Jesus felt those things, he wasn't like, what's wrong with me because I feel these things? Do you know the first thing we think of when we feel fear? What's wrong with me? The first thing we think of when we feel weakness, what's wrong with me? The first thing we think of when we feel confused, what's wrong with me? We're immediately judging ourselves. Well, Jesus didn't feel any confusion about why he felt those things. He understood it's because he's dwelling in corruptible flesh. He understood this body was not made for death. This body was made for only light and life. And now this body is intimate with death. In fact, death has found an opportunity to even be manifested in this body. And so he knew exactly why he felt those things. He knew his flesh was yearning for the likeness of immortality. His senses were exercised. Right? It's like when you're running a long race. When you're running a marathon, all of a sudden, you could feel thirsty. Right? Once a week, I would go run a 26-mile tempo run. The first time I did it, I did it without anything to drink. Do you know what I felt like at the end of that? Like I was going to die. <laughs> I think I lost like 10 pounds of water weight on that run. Like I barely got in the car and made it back because it was the first time I tried doing that just as my weekly tempo run. Well, do you think I was confused as to what the problem was? I mean, I knew I wasn't hydrated. So do you think that I went to the gas station to get gas in the car? Do you think I thought if I can just get more gas in the car, that will take care of this weakness that I feel? Do you see how my senses were exercised to be able to discern what was going on in my body? And so I went, and, and for now on when I did the run, I had like a little uh, vitamin water drink, because I did laps. You did like 10 laps in the loop would equal 26 miles. So now I had that little thing, every lap I stopped and got something to drink, right? I knew exactly what was going on. So Jesus knew exactly what was going on when he felt those things. He wasn't caught off guard. He wasn't confused. He knew what his senses were longing for. He knew what they were groaning for. He knew they were groaning for the eternal life that is without beginning and without end. His eyes were anointed with eye salve as it talks about in Revelation when he says, buy of me gold. He saw the beauty in the world. 
He saw that there's things in the world that are beauty, but he discerned that there's nothing in the world. There's no created thing that could be enjoyed that would be able to satisfy what his senses were yearning for. It can't satisfy. And so just like I didn't go get gas in the car when my body was dehydrated, the reason I didn't go get gas is because I knew the gas couldn't satisfy me. So Jesus, in understanding what it is he was yearning for, knew the only thing that could satisfy. And so he wasn't going here to satisfy or going there. He was going right to the Father, which is what the prayers of Jesus were always about. He wasn't trying to get God to bless him. He wasn't trying to perform some religious service. What he was doing was he was connecting with the Father so his senses could be awakened to the likeness of the Father that was dwelling in him. So that his body that was yearning for immortality could see the seed of immortality is in me. And now he could start finding his desire satisfied by being awakened to the fact that he possesses eternal life. That's what his prayer was about. That stabilized his emotions. So Jesus saw the bounds of his habitation. He saw he lived and moved and had his being in the Father. He understood, he saw the negative emotions as a sign that he was set apart unto life. That's what he saw. I could feel these negative emotions because I'm set apart unto life. That's why I feel what I feel. And you know what? You can even see the negative emotions not as something negative. You know what you could begin to see? That's actually just every ounce of my being rejecting death. You know why you feel negative? Because you hate death and you think you see it. I mean, does anybody think it's bad to hate death? So even when I feel negative emotions, man, that's just me hating death, right? He learned the weakness he felt was his entire being turning its back on death. It's my body rejecting death. It's my body even recognizing death is evil. It's my body, even knowing death isn't right. You see? And that's what he would talk, that's what he immediately felt that he was feeling. Well, then, when you think that that's what's going on, you start to connect with the life that can't be overcome by death. That's the commandment of the Father. Life everlasting. This is what you're after. So that's how Jesus grew in the stature of sonship as a human being. He grew in favor with God and with man by growing in intimacy with what it is to be a human being and by growing in intimacy with eternal life as a man, right? You first get in touch with your feelings, your emotions. Men stink at getting in touch with their emotions, right? Because men been taught, just push it down. That's what men taught. That's what men think getting in touch with your emotions is just pretend like they don't exist. Just push them down. I'm tough. And I'm also not talking about how you got to get in touch with your emotions like the world says, where you just cry like a baby, right? But rather process them with God when you feel those things. Don't push them down. Talk with God about the burden you feel. He'll lift it off of you, and you'll find yourself delivered, right? So that's how he grew in the stature of sonship. He grew in his understanding of what it is to be a human being, and he grew in intimacy with eternal life as a human being. And in him doing that, do you know what happened? This is why his ministry became so powerful. This is the growing in favor with man. It isn't just growing in favor with man in the sense of you learn what it is to be a human being. But once you learn what it is to be a human being, you begin to find other people finding favor in you because you become intimately acquainted with what hurts people. You see? 
And in Jesus becoming human and feeling weakness, feeling the pressing in of fear, fear wasn't conceived in his heart, but he felt the pressing in. He felt the pressing in of lack. He felt the confusion. He felt the despair that a human being could felt. And in him feeling that, in him understanding what it is that was going on, he became intimately acquainted with what hurts you and what hurts me. He knows. He really knows. He was intimately acquainted. This is why God doesn't judge people for what they do. Because he doesn't judge what they do outwardly. He looks at the deep hurt and pain and fear and despair and anger and hatred that's come upon them because they're in a body that's dying, but they're a creature that's been created to live and never die. And he understands the torment and the despair and the confusion that could come upon a person that knows they're meant for life, but now they're surrounded by only death. He gets it. And he doesn't just get it because he observes a dynamic and he knows intellectually. He felt it himself. He knows God's our habitation. He knows we live and move and have our being in God. He understood that gave us a yearning to see the Father's likeness manifested in our lives and in our senses. He knows our senses are yearning for immortality. He knows our senses are yearning to never feel weakness anymore. He knows our senses are yearning for perfection. He knows that's what's going on in us. And he knows we were created to be that way because we're set apart unto wanting life, just like the Father is set apart unto wanting life. He knows our nature is too long for life. He gets all of that. And so now he sees us. He sees what's going on in us. He sees the things in the world that they can stimulate our senses and that they can ignite passions within our members that could cause us to lust after God in our bodies and in the earth. You're never just going to sit there. You're going to want life. And either you're going to find your desire for life satisfied in God giving you himself, or you're going to look to satisfy your desire for life with the things in the world. That's where desire turns from desire to lust. Mm. Jesus saw into the depth of our hearts by way of having a human heart. He understood the motivation in the human heart. He didn't judge it by what a person did outwardly, but he looked inwardly. And he saw the motive that sets our lives in motion was the desire to attain to the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. Why do you think Adam was so ashamed when he saw his nakedness? He was yearning to attain to the fullness of the stature of the Son of God. That's what Jesus sees about every human's heart. Even when they don't know it. They're yearning to attain to the stature of the fullness of the Son of God. That's what he sees that they're doing. He felt the shame and the fear and the confusion and the insecurity that came upon us because we were in a world filled with death and corruption. He felt it. You know, he didn't just feel it. It makes sense to him that we feel it. I think it's funny that I'm preaching this message after the He Gets Us commercial that everybody's so upset about. <laughs> right at the Super Bowl. 
Well, we talked about it in there. I understand why people are upset. And I also see why you could also not be upset, right? I, I get the whole thing. But Jesus knew the confusion. And when I say no, he was intimate with the confusion that people experience having a burning in their hearts for the, for the incorruptible life of God, but now being encompassed by death to the degree they can even see death in their own lives. He understood the contradiction there. It's like you take a fish that's meant to be in water, and then you take the fish out of the water, and you take the fish and put it on the ground. Is anybody surprised when the fish starts flapping around, wanting to get back into the water? Why not? We understand that the fish can't live outside of the water. So of course it's trying to get back into the water. I mean, when you, catch, when you go fishing and you catch a fish and you're busy unhooking. You know what? I've never been surprised when that fish tried to squeeze out of my hand. I've never been surprised when that fish wanted to jump back into the water. Because I understood that the fish lived and moved and had its being inside of the water. And so Jesus saw that about us. He saw the confusion we experienced. He could see into the depth of our despair. Hopelessness could take hold of you. He could see into the depth of our despair. He was able to see us, to really see us. He could hear the cry in our hearts for life. He saw us burdened with the weight of sin, carrying upon ourselves the weight of death, trying to make manifest God's likeness in the earth and in our bodies. He saw us walking around doing that. He saw the hurt it caused us. He really knew what hurt us. And because he really knew what hurt us, now he has favor with us because now he knows exactly how to minister to us. You know how you minister to a person who was meant for eternal life but weighted down with death? You come and minister a life to them that conquers death. And that's why Jesus is walking around forgiving sin because he realized the pain, the hurt, the confusion everybody felt was from the sin and the death that was manifesting in the earth and in people. So you know what Jesus went around doing? Ministering the Father to people. Ministering a life that lifts the weight of death off of people. That's the forgiveness of sin. The forgiveness of sin is not God getting it right to not be angry with you because of your bad behavior. The forgiveness of sin is God coming and sending death away from you by him giving you his life. That's the forgiveness of sin. He sees that sin is burdening you with death. He sees the death is confusing you, filling you with fear, filling you with weakness, filling you with pain. He sees the feeling of weakness and pain is causing you to be filled with hurt and despair. And what he does is he comes and lifts that death off of you by giving you the Father's life, which is the thing you're longing for to begin with. And so now, listen, man, people begin looking at Jesus and see this guy understands what hurts me. That's how he has favor with man. Do you know what it says about Solomon? I mean, Solomon is the guy who wrote the book of Proverbs. Solomon grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And what happened when he did that? Everybody in the whole world traveled around the world for what? To partake in his ministry. You know why? Because they thought this guy has the words of life. This guy has the words that can bring forth life. And so Jesus is like Solomon. He, one greater than Solomon has come. 
He grew in wisdom and understanding and the stature of sonship. He grew in what it meant to be human. So he became intimately acquainted with what hurts human. So now he could speak directly to the hurt and the pain. He didn't come judging people by the fruit that was coming out of their lives because he saw the hurt that was going on in their heart and he saw exactly what caused the hurt. So now he came speaking to the depth of their despair and the thing he came speaking is what the disciples said, where will we go? You have the words of life. Where will we go? You have the words of life. That's growing in favor with man. People lined up everywhere trying to find Jesus, didn't they? Looking for him. Do you know why? Because they saw this guy understands what hurts us. His ministry can actually speak into our hurt. His ministry is actually lifting the burden of sin off of us. His ministry is actually serving with life. And so you have Jesus growing in favor with God, intimacy with God, and intimacy with man. And then that gave him the unique ability to now start ministering to people who are hurting because he understands. Jesus doesn't come upon someone hurting and tell them to repent from their bad behavior. If that's what you think, You've been brainwashed and programmed by the world. Jesus himself said he didn't come to make the outside of the cup clean. So repentance has nothing to do with the person repenting from their bad behavior. That's not the ministry of Jesus. What Jesus came to do was to demonstrate that he knows, he really knows what hurts his people. And because he knows... He really knows what hurts his people. He knows exactly how to heal them from what hurts them. And so he makes clean the inside of the cup. He purifies their hearts from the fear of death. He purifies their hearts from the death that's in the world because he sees that's the torment. So he comes to heal your torment. And when the torment is healed, when the fear and insecurity and confusion that's come upon your life is healed, you know what happens? Your flesh goes to rest. You stop seeking the beauty you're longing for in the world. And you start finding your hunger for beauty satisfied in the likeness of the Father's life. Right? And now you start engaging with that. Right? That's favor with man. That's why they came flocking to Jesus. How many people you see lining up for the Pharisees? Do you know why? Because they're like the people saying, repent. Repentance is a gift from God. And the way that it works, just because we're in the middle of, of all this, the way that it works is God comes and shows himself to you that he's with you to father his life in you. And he shows you that's what you're actually longing for. Well, that brings something about in your heart where you stop trying to satisfy your desire with the things in the world, right? You change your mind from thinking you're longing for these different things, whether it be a relationship, whether it be money, whether it be a status, whether it be a job. You change your mind from thinking those things can satisfy and you begin to awaken or your senses become awakened to the likeness of the Father and that's the only thing that can satisfy. That's what repentance looks like. You turn from thinking that you can be exalted unto life by the things of the world 
and you see that God's the only one that can exalt you unto life. That's repentance. You stop trying to pick yourself up out of the miry clay because you see God with you to pick you up out of the miry clay. Well, how can a person repent unless they first see God there picking them up from the miry clay? It's like we come and tell people God picks them up from the miry clay, but then we want to say, but did you tell them they needed to repent? I don't think you understand how it works. You just tell people God's with them to pick them up out of the miry clay. That produces repentance. You don't have to tell them to repent. You tell someone who's hardened in the heart that's rejecting the goodness of God. Right? Impenitent heart. So even today, people can grow in, in Jesus can grow in favor with people. And, and what I mean by that is I just had this conversation with this, this lady that listens to me, listens to the church here. And I mean, I've said it a million times and she said so, but she said she had, for some reason it had escaped her that Jesus felt the same fear pressing in on him that she feels. That she had never connected with that. That she had this idea that Jesus never felt any of these things. And it's just her. It's just us. But, you know, I, I hit it a lot. And so one of the weeks I was hitting on that and I guess it was her time to see it. And she talked about the great peace and comfort that came upon her just in knowing that he felt the same weight of fear pressing in on him, right? And immediately he now had favor or an avenue to minister into her heart, right? Because of that, because she thought he actually knows. We don't realize it, but you struggle to come to somebody for ministry if you don't think they know. And so if you got this idea of Jesus, who's never felt weakness, who's never felt fear, has never felt lack, who's never felt confusion, or any of those things, if that's your idea of Jesus, you're going to struggle to come to Him when you're feeling those things. Because you'll feel judged for feeling those things. What's wrong with me? I shouldn't feel this way. And then we come together and sing songs about, give us more of you, because we feel so ashamed that we don't think we're feeling the right things all the time. Right? You see how that works with Jesus, the favor, right? In the body of Christ, you grow in wisdom and stature. And what'll happen is, and what's been void, I think, in a lot of the body of Christ for the last 200, 300, 400, 500 years is the same thing that was void when Jesus was walking around, compassion. The ministry of the church has not been one of compassion. It's been one of condemnation. And the reason why is because we don't understand humans still. God is not shocked when he sees a naked person trying to clothe themselves. God is not surprised when he sees somebody nailed to the tree trying to get down off of it. He's not like, repent, repent. He sees into the depth of their hurt and understands why they would be doing that. And now he comes and starts speaking into it and ministering the word of a life that overcomes death to them, right? That's how he does it. So glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for, for your commandment. Thank you for showing us what we're after is, is your life. Thank you for the, the, the truth that's contained in your spirit. Thank you that your spirit is all the time interceding in our hearts, exercising our senses, discerning the things we're feeling, showing us what we're groaning for is you in the likeness of your life. Thank you, Father, that uh, 
we're growing in wisdom, that you're causing us to grow in the stature of sonship. Thank you, Father, that day by day, with each day, you are conforming us into the image of your Son. With every day, you are forming your life into us. Thank you, Father, that you are with us, calling forth life out of us. Thank you, Father, that you keep us from the, the wisdom of the world, that you're keeping us from the, the lust that's in the world through corruption. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. You even see what that verse says, right? That Peter says that we're saved from the, the lust that's in the earth because of corruption. You see what brings forth lust? Corruption. You know why corruption brings forth lust? Because we're longing for that which is incorruptible. And if we see corruption, that is going to trigger us to try to get incorruption. Glory to God. That's why you're saved by the divine nature. Right? You're saved by God giving you incorruption. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.